Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. I'm really happy to have Vanessa Boucher. Did I pronounce that correctly, by the way? You did. Thank Boucher, you. Yes. I, I added the little mark. You compared to me, and I want to point this out, during COVID, during an age of lack of debate generally across social media platforms, you are a PhD and have tons of information about human trafficking in relation to the massage industry that I can't get from a 15 minute Google search. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's mostly right. <laughs> and, and that's why I want you on to like compare and contrast ideas. We're both involved in the massage industry. You're also in Texas. You're in the Dallas area. I'm in Austin. Mm -hmm. Can you tell people a little bit about you, how you came to do or become interested in what you're interested in? And then we'll go ahead and just uh, kind of kick off the discussion. Sure. So I am, as you said, Vanessa Boucher. I have my PhD in political science and I was a professor at TCU for nine years and recently actually resigned from my position as a tenured faculty member to pursue social entrepreneurship. And so now I am a co-founder and CEO of a business called Severa, which provides jobs to survivors of trafficking who face significant barriers to employment. In my work as a professor of political science for about 15 years, I did a lot of scholarly activity around the issue of human trafficking, both in the United States and internationally as sex trafficking, as well as labor trafficking. And approached it from a variety of different perspectives. The policy perspective, interviewing and surveying survivors of trafficking, interviewing convicted individuals who have who had engaged in human trafficking in federal prisons, looking at the economic impact of trafficking, specifically in the what we call the illicit massage industry, and looking specifically in Houston. So approached the issue from a lot of different angles over the 15 years that I was working on it as, as a professor and as a scholar. And it was about in, I would say, 2018 or so that that this question of illicit massage industry started to kind of arise within the anti-trafficking community. And the reason was that we started seeing all of these kind of interesting looking quote unquote massage establishments pop up all over the country, pretty, pretty rapidly in pretty quick succession. And the way that law enforcement was handling it at the time was that they were going in and arresting the workers on prostitution charges. Now, of course, you know, in order for law enforcement to arrest someone on prostitution charges, the actual act has to at least commence. And so there's a lot of issues with that and questions around even just the ethics of law enforcement going in to arrest them on prostitution charges whilst they benefit from benefit, quote unquote, right from the services. But regardless, that's how law enforcement was kind of handling it. It's like, oh, these are, these are places of prostitution. We're going to go in there and we're going to arrest the women that are working on prostitution charges. And the question within the anti-trafficking community became, you know, is that the actual, is that the truth or is that a false narrative that's being told? In addition to that, these places wouldn't exist if there wasn't demand for these places to exist. And so I, I started working on a project looking at demand for illicit massage businesses in Houston. And 
the way that I did that was there's a website called rubmaps.ch and um, on it, you know, it, there's lists and lists and lists of, of establishments that people go to and write reviews specifically using kind of cover type of language around different sexual services that you can get at different establishments and the users it's a it's a user generated site where the users provide reviews and um say like how much they pay for an average service how much they tip what kinds of workers are there so like ethnicity of the workers what kinds of things that kinds of services you, you can get and so when on rub maps kind of extracted or scraped all of the data from businesses that were listed in Houston, took essentially a random sample of those and did and just literally counted the number of people that walked into those businesses. Now, every single one of the ones that we ended up counting, there was not a single female customer the entire the entire time. And so again, like another kind of red flag is, oh, that's very interesting. Obviously, women get massages just as much as men, I would think, right? And so why is it that only males go to these places? I did the analysis and long story short, was able to discern through very various econometric analyses that the illicit massage industry in Houston, Texas alone is about $107 million uh, gross revenue annually. So big business, big business. And it's estimated that it, that it, well, I, I hesitate to say employees, but that there are about 30,000 as a conservative estimate, what we in the anti-trafficking space have termed like victim workers, essentially in these places. Now, that being said, at the same time, the anti-trafficking community, now that this has been on their radar, there's been just this outrage about these establishments. And as with all anti-trafficking legislation since the year 2003, when the very first states passed legislation on human trafficking, there has been a flurry of anti-trafficking legislation and activity. And much of this legislation really makes no sense. And from, as an analyst and as a scholar, I look at it and I'm like, you know, why are we passing this legislation? Has anybody ever looked at whether we, whether it's efficacious, whether it's actually effective, whether it's doing what we want it to do? Also, what, what is, what is the goal here, right? Yeah. Is the goal to make um, it more difficult for licit businesses to stay in business and to do their job? Or is the goal to really be like pragmatic about this, about how, how we're doing this and actually to recover victims, restore victims. And, you know, I even hesitate to say like, obviously you want to bring the, the, the individuals who are engaging in human trafficking, you want to bring them to justice. Then the question is like, what exactly does justice look like? Right. And so anyway, these are, but the reason why all of this legislation passes is because it's extremely politically expedient and popular for legislators to say that I am an anti-trafficking yep. legislator, right? It's a bipartisan issue by and large, although I have things to say about that as well. And because of that, it's it's definitely something that legislators want to claim credit for among their constituents because the general public tends to get outraged when they hear about it. A lot of the reasons they get outraged is because of the sensationalized nature of the news on the issue rather than the truth of the issue. But nevertheless, 
there's been this flurry of activity. And what I started to see and become pretty, pretty just disappointed in was the extent to which the state of Texas was putting very onerous restrictions and regulations on the licit massage industry while while it makes no sense to do that in the context of trying to combat the illicit massage industry. And so that's kind of the how I've come to all of this and and where I'm at where I'm at on it now. Oh boy. This is Yeah, not there's enough, lots this, of directions we can go. This is not here. enough for one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there's many directions if, we can go with this. If if you were were all powerful and we know that we have to deal with our population, the government, politics, laws, lawmaking, enforcement. There's so many layers. If you were all powerful, what would you try to do to help licit businesses and then decrease illicit business from your vantage point because you're more studied? Well, first of all, you know, my understanding of the regulations that, okay, number one is the the definitions within the law itself. And so, you know, within my, you know, I wrote an op-ed that was in the Fort Worth Business Press on this because more and more laws were were at least being proposed by the Texas legislature that were just kind of uncannily, they just didn't make sense. If your goal is to combat human trafficking, putting these restrictions on the list of massage industry. So the definitions. First of all, there's a lot of, I think, conflation of the of the definition of what is a massage establishment what versus what also exists in the law, which is a massage parlor versus sexually oriented businesses, right? Like there's all of these things and ways, definitions and classifications. And what ended up happening, I believe, is that there was this wrongful conflation of massage establishments with illicit massage businesses that are actually sexually oriented businesses and effectively massage or sex parlors, right? But because the law has, there's a definition of massage parlor, I think people just started conflating like, oh, well, we, you know, one way that we can attack the illicit massage industry is if we put more regulations on the massage industry so that we can regulate them as though they're legitimate businesses, even though we know that they're actually not legitimate businesses. And then that makes no sense, yeah. right? So if I, if I had my druthers, what I would do is I would, I would define the illicit massage industry based on what it is. I would really not use the word massage at all because I think that that's become part of the issue is the conflation of these things. And I would probably just call it a sex parlor. And in the definition of sex parlor, you you say that sex parlor engages in all of these various types of acts, one of which could be massage, right? But then you're completely separating the two. And the occupation code you know, one should be in the criminal code. <laughs> the other should be right um, in the occupation code. So. And I, so long story short, I use multiple cameras. I can flip camera angles live. I'm doing private live streams, group live stream classes. I can't offer any of that information for CE credit in Texas because Texas doesn't allow hands-on instruction online. And part of the reason I contacted you was over the years, my, my work is kind of weird. 
because it's 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 mat based. Close on. I started filming and photo documenting everything, and over the years, like I have a following of massage therapists, but there's a lot of massage therapists who say, "I don't understand. This isn't massage." And I go, "Great, then we don't need licenses in all 50 states, and I can teach anybody." And they're like, "Oh, but, but no." And it's like, okay, I have three licenses alone in Texas that doesn't include Arkansas, Louisiana. ABMP membership, AMTA membership, NCBT and B approved provider, and filing each additional class to try to deal with all this regulatory red tape. I look at Stretch Lab and Stretch Zone. They're hiring personal trainers and yoga teachers, and they're doing essentially what looks to me like hands-on manipulation of soft tissue. And they're like, no, that's that's different. And I go, Oh, your definition of massage doesn't equate with what I think is going on when I have conversations with my lawyer. Like the the language they're using and the way they're defining those terms is like basically, as I see it sometimes, it's like it's benefiting big business and it's fighting me from like delivering stuff online because all the, the therapists want CE credit. Then what really blew my top was I read an article and they said, this is why we don't want online education in the massage industry. It's going to lead to more human trafficking. And I'm like, I've had it. I'm done. I, I, like, I, I talked to a school owner in Houston. Houston, to my knowledge, you correct me if I'm wrong, fourth largest city in the U.S., number one for human trafficking. Huge port city. It's, you know, I... I hesitate to say that it's number one for human trafficking because the the, the statistics that people use to, to yeah. make that claim are not necessarily accurate. But nevertheless, it doesn't matter if it's number one or number five or whatever. It's yeah. it, Yes, there is a trafficking issue in Houston, just like there is in Dallas, just like there is anywhere. Yeah. So a, a school owner in Houston, I did a training at her place years ago, and she so we had a conversation over dinner with her husband. She explained to me that people would call her and say, listen, We'll give you $10,000 per transcript. And what they wanted her to do was falsify records so that they could, and it's like, ooh, man, that's a lot of money to fake some paperwork. I'm like, the, the industry is butting up against these things. You and I might have some differences of opinion on how to deal with it. The challenge is, how do you actually, as you said, in a pragmatic way, solve the problem and stop putting increased regulation and monetary like issues against the massage industry, people who are running licit businesses. Right. So it's really unfortunate to me. I, I don't know exactly what the justification was in that article that you're referring to as to how online massage instructions would instruction would so, lead to more trafficking what what did like why so here's here's the basics this is what i see there's a there's a slippery slope if texas allows online education for continuing education then it's going to lead to an online massage school for core curriculum oh we can't we can't have that people are going to falsify records and there's going to be more human trafficking they're using that as a justification to block online education and online education is where I shine. Like I'm, I'm eating an industry from my studio. 
just running cameras, teaching people live, both interactively and in group classes. The issue is blocking online education doesn't have anything to do with like human trafficking as I see it. I keep going, wait, there are already laws. We already have brick and mortar laws. Like just enforce the laws that already exist. Human trafficking is already illegal. Right. I, <clears throat> so once again, I think it's an issue of conflation. There, like, it, absolutely, there's a huge issue, as we all know, with just, with, you know, self-made pornography now, the, what's the app called? Anyway, OnlyFans. OnlyFans, thank yeah. you, thank yeah. you. OnlyFans, I, I, I flaked on that for a second. OnlyFans, all of these things. And so then the, then all of a sudden it becomes, well, oh, if you're touching people on a screen, then that could lead to, I don't know, like, you know, and <laughs> I don't, I don't know because it's like, okay, are, are people trafficked on screens? Are people trafficked no, for the production of pornography? No yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I, I have no idea. Yeah. So like, you know, there's like in, in the studies that I've done with survivors trafficking, when I asked them how they were trafficked in what types of industries were they trafficked, were they trafficked in strip clubs, were they trafficked in, in the production of pornography, were they trafficked on the track or on the street, were they trafficked online, right? You know, a surprising number say that they actually were trafficked to create pornography. So, so are people trafficked on screens? Yes. Enforcing that, th this is what I believe, enforcing that is much harder than enforcing, than enforcing legal activities of business owners. Like, and so what we end up doing is the easy thing, like, and conflating things that are actually very, very different just to claim that we're doing something, right? So rather than getting to the root of the people that are actually committing the crimes and, and, and actually trafficking people on screens. Instead, you just make these claims that like, oh, that could lead to, and I don't understand. I, that's why I'm saying like, mm. you know, are people trafficked on screens? Absolutely. What does that have to do with online instruction yeah. for continuing education credits for massage therapists? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. There was an issue, and this is the complexity. I'm a CE provider. Almost everything I have produced, I cannot offer Texas massage therapists CE credit online because I am blocked from teaching hands-on instruction online for CE credit. You want to make it more fun? I finally get the technology set up. Not as, not as nice as it is now, but it was set up. I taught a class online for Thai style foot massage. The, the only bare part of the body is the feet. Like I yeah. don't, again, I haven't had somebody take off their clothes in years. I work completely clothed on a mat. Yeah. So I'm a little mouthy. I have opinions. <laughs> I, I, I taught the class. I made sure to have my Bluetooth in so students could text or call and, and ask me questions live. A student called in and proceeded to just bitch me out for several minutes live. You couldn't hear her because she was in my Bluetooth and I just lost it. I'm like, I've, d I've done all this and I do all this work and I'm being attacked because Karen 
doesn't like my opinions. So Karen took it of herself to report me to TDLR. I get a notification from TDLR. The regulators are calling me and going, what did you do? What did you say? And I was like, hold on. She told you in a message what she said or what, what was said, what I did. And she provided an entire video of the actual class, which is why I'm like the police now. I record myself. And I'm going, okay, so how can someone in Arkansas report me to TDLR in Texas when Texas doesn't allow me to teach online for CE credit? It's, I'm teaching on the internet. This is beyond Texas jurisdiction. I have no geographic borders teaching on the internet. And here's what has to happen. That lady in Arkansas, Karen, is using up valuable resources with Texas regulators to try to go after me because I had an opinion she doesn't like instead of going after what? Human trafficking. And this is the thing, like it, 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 it sets a precedent where anybody on earth can call from Japan, report me to TDLR and cause me regulatory and legal issues. Like, I, like, what do y'all want me to do? <laughs> it's like, if it's outside of your jurisdiction, you don't allow me to teach online for CE credit. What does this have to do with TDLR? So and, and this, this is me as a licit business, you know, just yeah. begrudging the current like regulatory climate and how it affects my business. So go ahead. Right, right. So you are able to provide CE credits for students outside of Texas? Depending on that state's laws. And there are 50 okay. states of law, sets of laws. So right, when, a right, student, right. when a student in Mississippi says, can I get, I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what do you yeah. mean you don't know? I'm like, there are 50 sets of laws. I don't know your state. I can barely figure out what Texas regulation literally means. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I'm nationally certified. National certification as a CE provider, when those are approved for like home study, there are some states that allow me to, to jump certain hoops. And I'll, I'll use Arkansas as an example. I have classes that are approved in Arkansas. I have a license as a CE provider in Arkansas. I can go within Arkansas state borders and teach those approved classes. If I teach another class that's not approved by their board in their state borders, it, it won't count for CE credit because it's not approved by their board. But mm -hmm. if they come into Dallas and I teach the class and it's approved for national certification credits, Arkansas students can use it so long as I don't teach within Arkansas's state borders. Now, why would Arkansas have that law? And you're smiling because I think you know why. <laughs> Because state, state boards and, and I say boards, school owners and stuff in Arkansas don't want competition. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, I'm, I have a subscription service for $7 a month where I put a recording of every class I've taught since 2017. Like what, what's going on here? It's like, I'm, it's like disparate. So back to the issue of human trafficking, how knowledgeable are you of like human trafficking like across the United States and like particular issues in other states, even though we're most familiar with Texas? Very familiar. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, trafficking is an issue. It, it, it really is an issue everywhere, but 
it's there's a couple of things that are unfortunate about the way that the the movement I would say has taken shape. One is is the over sensationalized narrative of human trafficking that oftentimes is misidentifies or, or the who 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 the typical victims tend to be in these cases and so the the typical narrative if you google if you just google sex trafficking just google sex trafficking and you go to google images you're going to find that the, the the first page of pictures is all a couple things one white girls false narrative two in chains false narrative three like completely beaten and you know looking all haggard and stuff gen less of a false narrative but you know not always the case and then four if there is a perpetrator behind them or around them or whatever it's typically painted as a person of color right so you have there's a lot of very troubling racial implications for the way that the issue of trafficking has been framed and and the narrative around it and the sensationalizing of it and so that you know that's something that's troubling something that's problematic and unfortunately though it the reason that that narrative exists is because nonprofits you know nonprofits have to raise funds <laughs> and that narrative speaks to the people that make donations more than the true narrative which is you know that the plurality of victims in the United States are women and girls of color many of whom come from child protective services foster care juvenile detention and you know maybe have substance substance abuse issues potentially teen pregnancy you know that's really what who that 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 is predominantly who the victims tend to be lower educated you know don't don't finish high school and so when you look at really what it would what it would take to combat the victimization of girls for the purpose of sex trafficking what it would take is doing those things that most of these same people who give a lot of money don't necessarily want to do. So looking at interventions in inner cities and looking at, you know, providing services to girls that otherwise are deemed kind of like throwaways. So so that's that that's kind of it's unfortunate how the narrative has evolved over time and the sensationalizing that has taken place because it it is a very large problem. And unfortunately, with the advent of social media and the ability for traffickers to recruit in more in more ways than just meeting someone in person and 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 being able to see people's vulnerabilities online and that sort of thing, like it it it, it is a big problem, and it's not going away. I mean, it's it, if anything, it's only gotten worse. But the problem is that it's sensationalized number one and number two the framing of it since the very beginning has been around criminal justice it's been around you know 
we need to criminalize trafficking. We need to prosecute the traffickers. We need to put them in jail. And then there's not a whole lot of services for the, for the survivors. And, you know, unfortunately it's, it is a criminal justice issue, but that's only a little tiny part of it. It's, it's a human rights issue. And so that, that type of framing though, is also what has led to this, this smattering of laws on trafficking across the country in every, in every state across the country. And part of that has then been, how do we, or can we like, clearly we're not necessarily making a dent by only making it a criminal justice issue. So how do we then attack it from the civil side, right? How do we create, is it possible to create regulations within those industries where traffickers may exist or at least, you know, appear to exist and then, and then approach the problem from a regulatory standpoint and shut them down by bankrupting them with fees than, than, you know, any other way. So that, that's, that's kind of where we're at with the illicit massage business right what now. I hear from legitimate businesses licit massage businesses, even here in Austin. There was a, a young lady that owned a facility and there was another massage facility in a shopping center. And she said, this is not good. These, this is not a legitimate, you know, business. She continually reports them. TDLR can't do anything. And then the police say, sorry, it's just not a priority. We only have so much resources. And I, and I do what I always do. And I sit back and I go, okay, we know the heroin, cocaine, and all these fentanyl, we know that all this is illegal, but you can still buy it in every major city in America. Where does the money go? And it's like every bank in the world just goes, oh, we, 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 we don't know where those billions of dollars went. <laughs> and it's like, it's got to go somewhere. It's got to be laundered somehow. When you, mm -hmm. when you talked about it initially, you said like 30,000, I think, was like numbers. And then what was it? Was it a hundred million? Was it over a hundred million? About, yeah. A hundred and seven million. Yeah. Gross I'm like, revenue. where, where does that go? Like, how right. is like, how can they not follow? Cause this is, this is why crime happens. There's money to be made. And it's like, where does the money go? How does it just vanish? And I don't have the answers to that. But again, I'm in my studio trying to cross state borders using the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I, 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 I hear you. And it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. I, you know, I have to say, I, I, oops, I lost you for a second there. Yeah, your video um, went off. Yeah. I got a good solid V. So it's, that's exactly right. And here's, and here's the thing. It's very, very frustrating. I, I testified at a Senate, at a Texas Senate hearing with the executive director of TDLR and the head of TBAC. And overall, great hearing, like, you know, no problems. But I have to, I, I have to say from my perspective that, first of all, as a political scientist and somebody who has studied government bureaucracies from a scholarly perspective for a while, right? The, the thing about government is that when a program is created, it doesn't tend to go away. And then they have to justify, they continue to justify their existence, right? And so things just continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the heads of agencies want to report all of the great things that they're doing so that they keep their programs, right? And so 
So that was somewhat of what was going on. I, um, and, and I, you know, obviously it's not, it's not their fault because the legislature was the one who gave them the mandate to do this work. And so now they're just doing the work, you know, that, you know, they were given the mandate to go into the illicit massage businesses and to start looking around and scoping and, you know, basically auditing for kind of tricky things saying, oh, that looks suspicious. Oh, that looks suspicious, whatever. And, and just literally feet on the ground regulating these places. The legislature gave them the authority to do that. And so they now have to implement it. But the other thing that was happening was BYOB establishment. So the, the other thing that's happening is this conflation of, oh, human trafficking is more likely to take place where there's alcohol. So now we need to be really monitoring any place that has a liquor or alcohol license, even if it's like, you know, anyway, so that, that was why the TBC director was there. And then he started talking about BYOB establishments and how, you know, because they're BYOB, we have no, we have no authority to regulate them, but there could be trafficking going on there. So essentially trying to plant the seeds that maybe TB, TBAC should be TABC. <laughs> I'm saying it wrong. Alcohol Beverage Commission, ABC, TABC should be able to regulate the the BYOB establishments because, you know, they may have trafficking going on and we wouldn't know it because we can't regulate them. And I, I just sat there, honestly, I didn't say anything, but shaking my head in my head going, I, I sure hope that the legislators see what's going on here. And if anybody in this room agrees that BYOB establishments should allow to, to be regulated by TABC on the basis that there may be trafficking in these BYOB establishments, like, have we gone mad? Like, have we gone mad? So so it's it just watching it happen is very frustrating, but... Yeah. One of the things, and again, I, I have a weird practice in my bodywork practice and then as an educator. Clothes on, completely clothes on. I don't have people take off clothes. Mat based. When I look at it, I'm like, why does, okay, why does massage become a front for human trafficking? And I'm like, nudity and privacy. And my yeah. work takes away both of them and says, nope, we work on clothed people in public. Like it's a yoga class kind of. Yeah, yeah. And massage therapists haven't, they haven't really like understood that my model really like switches things, but I have to deal essentially with the same regulation. And I keep going, okay, lawyer, Mr. Lawyer, sir, you charge $300 an hour. How is it Stretch Lab and Stretch Zone can hire people who aren't licensed? And how do I do that? And essentially he's like, oh, he starts to, he's like, Robert, you're cruising. And it's like, no, it's not thing. fair that a big business can do it and I can't. Well, my question too is this. If you, if instead of calling yourself a massage therapist, which is regulated by the, a profession regulated by the state, you instead started calling yourself an artist, all of this would be protected under the First Amendment. Whether it was closed or not, whether you were clothed or not, 
it would be protected under the First Amendment. <laughs> yeah. But because you are a regulated industry, you know, there are these certain things that, you know, don't, I would ask, if I were a legislator, I would be asking deeper questions about why this regulation is in place. Tell me what are your three good reasons for how this online instruction is going to facilitate or lead to in any way the exploitation of human beings. It, I need to know the reasons. It's the slippery slope. If you if you open the bottle, it's just it's just going to get worse. It's going to then. If to that's the case, then we need to start really talking about pornography instead of protecting it under the veil of the First Amendment. And nobody's willing to do that, right? I, I believe so. Yes. <laughs> Except unless it's, you know, unless it's child abuse material online, yeah. child sexual abuse material, that obviously is regulated. But, right. um, but despite the fact that, I mean, it's very well known within the anti-trafficking community that people are trafficked into porn, that porn is used to groom victims within trafficking, to groom them to, you know, on how to behave. It is used by buyers when they go to visit, when they go to have commercial sex acts with the person that they're buying, they say, I want you to do this. I mean, it's used across the board in trafficking. If there's any deeper connection between what facilitates trafficking and online material, it would be the porn industry. And it, it continues to get away with all of this because of its First Amendment protections. And I'm agnostic. I, I'm, not, I'm not agnostic about regulating porn. Um, at the same time, I, I recognize that if you start to regulate porn, it's like it's it's already the cat's out of the bag. So yeah. good luck with that kind of thing. But but it, it it really it really makes no sense. And there's a lot of aspects of our laws that are very counterintuitive, contradictory, not pragmatic, not really thinking through things logically and critically. It's just the it's kind of the almost the tyranny of the majority it's like the public gets outraged about <laughs> welcome something. to democracy in america <laughs> yeah so the public gets outraged about something and these legislators are like we have to please our constituents let's just do whatever we need to do to claim that we're making a difference and then you actually look at what the difference is that's being made and you realize it's actually unfortunately yeah we're not moving the needle a whole lot. I, I, and when you focus your energy in areas that you're definitely not going to move the needle, like focusing your energy on, on minimizing the amount of online CE credit for massage therapists, like that's where you're going to focus your energy to combat human trafficking. Like, yeah, of course we're not going to move the needle. Right. Yeah. I've, I've, I used to say this, and again, I have, I have opinions that make me unpopular in my industry sometimes. I'd say, listen, as far as I can tell, I mean, it just gets to the point where, listen, why don't we just make prostitution legal, tax it, regulate it, bureaucrat it to death, and then separate it from the massage industry? And they're like, no, that'll make the problem worse. And I'm like, oh, like worse than it already is? I, 
like I get into a, a weird spot. So I know it's not the same thing. I don't, I don't want to conflate. I don't want to build a straw man and, 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 you know, I'm not trying to engage in some sort of like logical fallacy, but cannabis is cannabis a problem for some people? Yes. But generally I think people are like, yeah, it's legal. And it's like really causing like, it's just like a very innocuous thing. But for years, it was the most evil drug. You know, weed led to heroin. <laughs> and now it's like grandma's taking a bong load over in Colorado like it's no big deal. It's a little bit like that. My confusion about the massage industry is even therapists, they generally seem to go, no, regulate me more so we can, we can cut this well, down. And I'm like, and I. And I, so there's two things I have to say about that. The first is from the massage therapist perspective, I don't, I, I understand why they're saying that. And that the reason I understand why they're saying that is that because it, it's because they know that they have nothing to hide, right? So like, yes, it's, it's a pain to make every to make everything that I do more onerous, right? It's that's, that's a, that's a pain, but if it's gonna, if it's gonna, if you're telling me that it's going to help combat trafficking somehow and, and I have nothing to hide, fine, I'll do it. No big deal. No skin, no real skin off my back when real people are being exploited. So from their perspective, I kind of get it. It's like, I have nothing to hide. So fine. Give me another regulation, whatever I'll deal with it from the legalization of prostitution perspective. However, I don't think that it's, it's the same as, as cannabis. No, I don't and, think it's the same. And I want to be clear that I wasn't yeah. exactly saying that. It was, it's more an issue of like prohibition, but go ahead. Right. So, so I, you know, there are a lot of movements across the country in specific jurisdictions to legalize prostitution. Right now there's a big movement in Oregon. There was a big movement in Washington, DC a couple of years ago. It ended up not passing, but there, but, but, you know, prostitution will probably be legal in some states within the next several years. That's just my guess because the movement to legalize prostitution is, is pretty strong. My issue with legalizing prostitution is I have several issues with it. The first issue is that when you talk to buyers of buyers of sex and you ask them, what would deter you from, from buying sex? Their answer is getting caught by law enforcement, right? Like, I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to have, I don't want to have misdemeanor felony. I don't want to have to pay a big fee. I'm afraid of getting caught. And if the, if the penalty of me getting caught is, is there, then that, that, that would determine. And so legalized prostitution means taking away that penalty of getting caught, right? And so taking away the risk or the fear of getting caught among buyers. Take away that fear and there's going to be a lot more buyers, right? Because these, these guys say that would prevent me, that prevents me from buying. If that was gone, yeah, I would buy more. So now you have an increase in demand. If there's an increase in demand in any market, whether it's sex or essential oils, right? There's an increase in demand. There's going to be someone that provides the supply. Now, let's think about the supply. Who is that supply going to be comprised of? Well, it's definitely not going to be comprised of women that continue that that willfully are in um, the commercial sex industry. The reason is that 
of the of studies that are done of women in prostitution, 80% of them across the board every time, and this is in almost any study that you look at of that has studied women in prostitution. When you ask them, would you be doing this if you had another alternative? The answer over 80% of the time is no. When you ask them why they're doing or like what caused them to enter this industry, it is, you know, as I was telling you before, it is poverty, it is drug addiction, it is lack of education, it is, you know, all of these put what we call push and pull factors that that really push or pull women into this life. And when you put when you bring a pimp into it or a trafficker into it, who is, you know, somebody that doesn't have a loving home, doesn't have a loving family, has never experienced safety and significance by a authority figure in their life. And then this person comes along and gives them all of the love and affection and affirmation and things, right? Like fancy purses, fancy whatever that they, that they have been yearning for their whole lives. That's who's going to fill that supply. It's not going to be people that are willingly doing it. It's going to be people that are forced into it, whether because of their life circumstances or because they're picked up by a trafficker. And so that is why the legalization of prostitution movement makes no sense to me. Because I know based on research of buyers that it's going to increase demand. And I know that that demand will be met by women and girls who do not want to be doing this in the first place. And so that will actually lead to more trafficking and not less. Does legalization, because we have prohibition of alcohol, did legalization of alcohol increase demand? And I don't know, I'm asking a question. Well, no, it didn't, but that, but I don't think that those are the same things, especially no, no, because they're not, you're talking- they're not, I understand. Like okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to draw parallels, but I understand they're not exactly the same thing. Although I don't, I don't know if it did or, I mean, I honestly don't know. I have to I look know. historically at so, the, at the, at the data. I, I would argue, this is how I think of it, is like prostitution and drugs and gambling and Las Vegas and, you know, is it health food? No. But- it feels to me sometimes that anytime an activity is made illegal, everything about it that's bad increases. So for instance, and we'll just, I use fentanyl as an example, heroin, opiates. I'm generally, this is me personally, don't, don't take this against me if you're a massage therapist, you don't agree with me on this specific issue. I think all drugs should be legal, period. Cocaine, heroin, and they're like, oh my God, you're crazy. And I'm like, hold on, hold on legal clean pure refined controlled taxed regulated social programs for junkies and addicts it's not health food but everything bad about it seems to just get worse when it's prohibited across the board it's created narco democracies in central and south america and I understand that I have limited background. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly like you're a PhD and you're dealing with human trafficking. I know that you know more about this specific issue than I do. And I don't want to feel guilty of like conflating, like building a straw man and saying bull. No. At the same time, it seems like making it illegal makes problems worse. So I was hit by a drunk driver. That drunk driver was legally drinking before he got into a car. I've never once been like, this is why alcohol should be illegal, even though I had some negative repercussions from his life choices. 
that's the challenge I have with quote unquote, and we could argue this, what a lot of people consider victimless crimes. It's like, it's, I think one of the words you use that I'm, I'm most, I find most appealing is pragmatic is I think generally you and I both are against human trafficking. I think probably we're against prostitution, against illegal drugs, against humans or human rights violations. The challenge then becomes how do we manage it in a pragmatic way for the benefit of society as a whole? Yeah, and the reason that I would say that I would say that drugs and prostitution are not good points of comparison is because by and large, when you are doing drugs, you're you're harming yourself, right? It's self-inflicted harm. Now, does it have secondary effects on your family, on your community, on your friends, on your Absolutely. But the physical manifestation of harm is your body. Trafficking is different. It is the exploitation of another human being's body. And not just their body, their soul and their spirit too get crushed. But it is the exploitation of someone else's body. So it is me deciding that I can purchase not a product like drugs that I use once and then have to, you know, go buy more. No, it's buying a human being to rent somebody else's body for an hour or five minutes um, and inflict harm on them because I'm the I'm the consumer. So now I, I own you for this period of time and you need to do whatever the hell I ask you to do, right? So you're violating somebody else's human rights to live a dignified, self-determined life. And that is why I think conflate not conflating you're not conflating the two and i and i understand that but comparing the legalization of drugs with the legalization of prostitution is not is not correct because you know it, it is it's violating another human being versus violating yourself making the decision to inflict harm on yourself versus inflicting harm on somebody else when something is illegal, you get all the problems that go along with a black market. That's the, the thing that I keep going back to, and I like the distinction between a product that you're using harming yourself, meaning like illicit drugs, and then human trafficking violating somebody else's autonomy and human rights. It goes back again for this question for me. Let's say, again, this is not enough for one podcast. Like we. I, I could tell five <laughs> minutes in, I'm like, dude, we could go down a rabbit hole on one specific issue so far. Like we'd have, an, you know, utilitarian philosophical principles about society at large. If you're a massage therapist and you live in the United States and you're licensed, you're running illicit business. How then do massage therapists band together to try to prevent human trafficking? In other words, we, we all admit a there's a question. problem and we can argue about how to, you know, degrees and, and things, but like, what do we do as the therapist on the, on the ground? Yep. I love that question. And I'll tell you why, because I started a company called Severa and Severa is a Hindi word that means new beginning. And it was actually named by our very first employees um, because they said that this company represents their opportunity for a new beginning to live a new life. But we employ survivors of trafficking and we're a wellness and lifestyle company. And the reason that we're a wellness and lifestyle company was very intentional. It was because we are genuinely about holistic wellness. 
for the benefit of all of our stakeholders, whether that's our employees, whether that's the customers that enjoy our products. We want, when people think of Severa, we want them to think of holistic wellness. And the fact that when you purchase our products, you're not only receiving a luxurious, premium, elevated essential oil product that is USDA certified organic, 100% pure, but in so doing, you're making yourself well while simultaneously making survivors of extreme exploitation well also. And so one thing that massage therapists could do to say that they are very directly combating human trafficking is by partnering with Severa as a wholesaler with our essential oils. A lot of, obviously, a lot of massage therapists use essential oils in their practice, obviously mixed with a carrier oil or whatever. And we have, honestly, some of the creme de la creme oils that that you could purchase. So Severa is up here, right? You go to severa.com and and we take, you know, we we actually already have a good number of massage therapists that are wholesaling with us. But if you want to try out the products first, you can use a coupon code that that you have, Robert, and I I gave it to you. Massage yeah, I'm gonna, 25. I'm uh, going to put it up on the screen towards the end yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, Massage 25. Again. So anyone you listening to the podcaster and is interested in 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 kind of experimenting with Severa's products, seeing what they're all about, you know, you can use that coupon code and, and, and test them out if you want to. But that's a super direct way to be like, you know what? I am a massage therapist who stands against human trafficking in every way, shape, and form, which honestly, like, is probably the entire profession. <laughs> you know, nobody is for human trafficking. It's not, it's not like that. So this is a really easy, tangible way to say, not only do I proclaim that, that I'm an anti-trafficking activist, but I actual I actualize it by partnering with this wellness company that is providing restorative, dignified employment to survivors who have endured the traumas of trafficking. So that's I, a shameless plug. Oh, yeah, no, no, no worries. Like I, I knew shameless plug. We'd organize shameless plug. I don't, I don't worry. About it. <laughs> Yeah, people people are weird. Sometimes in a Facebook groups for massage therapists in particular, they have rules. There's no self-promotion. And I'm like, that is the worst business teaching principle I have ever heard. And I don't know why you're teaching massage therapists who already aren't good at business, bad business right. acumen out of things. <laughs> I had a, a gentleman, there was an event I ran in Austin. Remember, my, my work is mad based and clothed. I created an event years ago called the Time Massage Jam, and the Time Massage Jam was where I got together for eight years, every Thursday night for five hours. And I worked on nearly anyone for free and taught for free, publicly clothed. And people went, oh my God, you got naked? I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a community bodywork event. Everyone is yeah. clothed. I take out my cameras, film, stream, talk to people. Somebody comes in with shoulder pain. They can't normally afford my session fee. And I go, cool, I'll just work on you for free at the jam. Yeah. Community bodywork event. I love I, that. I fostered that, nurtured that. And there was a gentleman who came in who worked with us and he did really, really great work. He was a very do-it-yourselfer. Uh, he would do a lot of, a lot of uh, repairs on his own house because he would watch YouTube videos. And long story short, he eventually took, I think, my intro to Thai massage class, which is mat-based. A year later, I get a phone call from an angry massage therapist who says, hey, so-and-so is, you know, practicing massage without a license. 
And I was like, who? And I, and I, once I figured out who it was, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I know him. I've had his work at the jam. I, you know, he's taken one of my classes. And I was like, okay, listen, if he's practicing massage without a license, report him. And they said, mm -hmm. no, but he's using your certificate. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. My certificate doesn't give him a license to break state laws. <laughs> Right. Like I've had clients take my class with their partner because they wanted to learn a little bit they could do on each other, you know. And as she, as she got riled up, she said, no, but he's practicing massage without a license. And I'm like, so report him. And she said, but TDLR won't do anything. And I go, so why are you calling me? <laughs> like, I'm not the massage police. Like, I, I can't. And here's the deal. I know him. At one point, he went to jail because he refused to pay federal taxes to fund another war. And I remember having a phone call with him later and saying, hey, hey, man, I just wanted to check with you real quick. You know that I'm an upstanding citizen running illicit massage business, <laughs> trying to help people in teaching. It's like if I was to politely ask you to not do what you're doing and, and you know, do massage without a license, what would you tell me? And in a very floral language, he was like, F yourself. <laughs> I went, cool, just wanted to make sure <laughs> we were on the same page because I continue to put out information, but people look at information differently when it's in a YouTube video as opposed to my subscription service, which is $7 a month. People mm -hmm. literally, they find out that like a yoga teacher in Arizona will subscribe because they want to learn a little time massage and like blend it into their yoga class. And massage therapists find out that there are people who are not licensed studying with me online and they start to get angry and they're like, you're not checking licenses? And I'm like, for $7 a month? Like, what? You, you want me to do a background check on somebody who's signing up for a $7 a month subscription service where I'm providing bulk footage of my classes? Mm -hmm. And this is, again, like, it was why I asked you, like, what do we do? You know, because we're, we're on the ground level. There are people who just want me to go around and start reporting people. And I'm like, listen, Time Massage in its native homeland did not have a lot of regulation until very recently including anatomy. It was just like an art that was passed down generation mm -hmm. to generation. Mm -hmm. Then I'm a, a white guy in Texas, you know, teaching this art form in like a very different cultural climate. Yes. I have enough problems trying to go teach in Arkansas. Like I can't go around and like pick and I've, I've done, I've taken a time massage class. A yoga teacher has been in the class and told me very frankly that no state would ever regulate them from doing what they do in their healing work. And I just go, okay, there are therapists who think that I'm supposed to go out and report everyone. And I'm like, I don't have time. The, the problem is, is too big and I have a limited amount of resources. How do I make the biggest impact? And I'm like, go back to your studio, turn on the cameras and let's teach. Mm -hmm. It's way complicated. And you know, him doing a session without a license to me is like fairly small as far as a problem compared to like when we talk about human trafficking, not just on a U.S. level, but like globally. That, it just boggles my mind. Even having the conversation with you, I'm very happy to see 
the depth and complexity of the problem, which mm -hmm. if we can't even define it, then it's like, how do we solve it? How do, how mm -hmm. do we make, you know, tangible differences in people's lives when we're operating from like limited information? Yeah, I, 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 I don't, I think that looking for ways, there's always, obviously, there's always ways to plug in to, 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 to make a difference, you know, but I, but I do think that I, I empathize right now. That's why I wrote the op-ed because I empathize with, with the regulations and the, and the, just the onerous regulations that are being put on small business owners for really reasons that are based in a lack of understanding of what's actually going to help and what's actually going to work. So, you know, volunteer for an anti-trafficking organization, you know, donate money, like, you know, buy Severus oils, like all these things, like, yeah, there's, you know, and, and then obviously like be aware of the issue. And if you see something that looks a little bit sketchy, then you should definitely report that, right? But is it your responsibility to report people who are taking your classes that are not licensed? I mean, I don't, I don't know why, why no, would you have so to people, and here's, here's the distinction. People can take my classes without a license. Yeah, exactly. The so why would you need to check licenses? Say it again. Why would you need to check if they have a license or well, not? Well, massage therapists feel like they're an elite class. And I, I, mm -hmm. I started making this distinction recently. I, I realized something because I started watching Bob Ross's The Joy of Painting. And I went, oh my God, I'm Bob Ross. Like I'm, I'm a curmudgeon and I'm angry and kind of, you know, drill instructory like the guy from Full Metal Jacket sometimes. But I'm like, oh no, happy little trees. Anybody can learn to paint. Anybody uh -huh. can learn time massage. I'm going to show you. And, and that's the thing. It's like, we don't have regulations against artists because there was no harm, right? But with massage, it's like, no, people could be injured. People could be this, people could be that. And I go, okay, yeah, it is possible, but let me educate the public and teach them about the bicep. Let me teach them about how to safely work on this on their partner. Let me make myself available for text message or phone calls. Let me make myself available for online group live streams, private live streams to answer their questions. It's kind of like the time massage jam is a little bit like couples massage on steroids. It's getting a community of people together. And what, one of the things I found, anytime I went to a state, all the therapists in my classes were like, man, I wish we had a time massage jam here, but Austin massage therapists don't participate in the time massage jam. And I think, and, and we shut down because of COVID, of course. I think the reason is because massage therapists are an elite protected class and they didn't like that I was giving away the secrets to the public and anybody who wanted it basically for free. Does it make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And you know, I mean, I can't necessarily blame them. I Sometimes I feel that way as, I mean, this is gonna sound ridiculous, but as a political scientist, when you, you know, when you read what the ridiculous things that people write on Facebook and they all think that they're political, <laughs> you know, political no. analysts and you're like, no, 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 you actually have no idea what you're talking about, but whatever, go ahead, try it, do it. So I get it. Like, again, I, I can understand where they're coming from a little bit where they're like, wait a second, 
we have studied for years to learn how to do this. And these people just think that they're going to know what they're doing on the basis of one class. Like, no. So I get it. I get where they're coming from, you know. Core and there's curriculum. elitism. I think there's elitism probably in every profession. <laughs> core curriculum in Texas is 500 hours. I don't really cover core curriculum in my online subscription service. I'm teaching them a slightly different art that's, again, mat-based and close on. Right, right. There are 600 hours of my class recordings in that vault, and we upload new information every Monday. And now the videos are from four camera angles with anatomy on screen, and I'm teaching them more advanced like pain science through a mat-based perspective. And I'm like, well, what happens when there's a thousand hours? Because I don't think when I watch Bob Ross, I think he knew that not everybody was going to pick up a brush and do it. But one of the mm -hmm. things I really liked about his stance when I when I recognized myself in him was like he was so encouraging and saying, yeah, anybody, you you can paint a tree. Come on. Let me let me show you how I don't expect the public to be as good as a licensed therapist at all. Yeah. One of the reasons I had the jam was. Let's say a class was four or five hundred dollars. So the, the therapist comes in, they take a class with me, it's four or five hundred dollars. They couldn't practice my work at any massage facility in Austin. No place allows mat work. That's that's not massage. So I would let them come to the jam to continue working with me, networking with me, find a job if a mat-based facility opened, and continue to essentially train them for free. And that's one thing that I think fundamentally, I was just doing some weird things to the business model and the mm -hmm. way I interacted with people socially that people are still a little confused about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I get that. I, I get it. And I, I get it from both perspectives, truly. You know, at Severa, we're kind of trying to disrupt an entire industry, <laughs> which is a behemoth industry, but it's extremely opaque. There's a lot of lack of transparency. There's a lack of a lot of false claims made about quality of oils, purity of oils, about what oils can and cannot do, and it's 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 problematic. And so here we are, you know, enter this industry as a tiny little person and really trying to disrupt it by bringing a whole new level of transparency and values-driven entrepreneurship, values-driven we're a values-driven corporation where we believe that our value is not just monetary, but also we have, we bring value to society, to our employees and to the planet. And so trying to, you know, doing things differently than the way that they have traditionally been done is hard. It is, it's hard. It's an uphill battle. People are going to push against you. You are swimming upstream and you're going to face a lot of currents. And, and yet, human beings don't like change. And so oh, from yes. their perspective, <laughs> I understand the hesitancy, you know, and protecting your turf, you know, I get that. I totally get it from just a human psychology perspective. So, you know, but what, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I obviously am not an expert in anything, anything at all having to do with massage or even the massage industry. All I know is the way that it's been completed with trafficking and that's troubling to me. <laughs> yeah, and the reason, and this is the thing, I, I spend a lot of time in my marketing, like being a philo former philosophy student who got into a car accident, went into massage because of that chronic pain problem. I could perform a thought experiment and I was having problems selling what I did because it was like, they were always like, I don't understand. What the hell is this, Matt? What, like, where do I take off my clothes? And I'm like, no, th this is different. 
the problem was I was trying to sell what I did like it was massage instead of selling it like what it is, which is for pain relief and mobility. Mm. It's a pain. It's I'm a soft tissue specialist who focuses on chronic pain problems. That's yeah. very different to their yes. mentality than massage. Yes. And as I continued to do that, like you, you, you saw the differences. And I was like, I think fundamentally from the perspective of like the consumer, people on the outside, one of the key differences with what I teach is massage is typically done in the nude and in private, which means unfortunately, sometimes other things are going on, which is how it becomes a front for illicit business. What right. I'm doing is completely close on to the point where I'm like, turn on the cameras and let's live stream us working on people. Yeah. And they're like, I mean, I'd go to a local massage school and teach and they're like, yo, you can't film your class. And I go, but it's my class. And they're like, but we don't allow filming. And I'm like, why? And, and they go, oh, well, I guess you're not working on naked people. And it's like, yes, but even people in my area don't understand that about my business. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why I think the framing of it is yeah. really important where you said you need to shift the narrative around your framing. From, you know, from traditional massage to soft tissue, pain management, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Makes total sense. Cool. Your websites are just above you, including severo.com. Uh, yes. In a second, I'm going to flip up the thing that has the information about the coupon code for everybody. Uh, they Great. can contact you on Facebook uh, down below. Do you have any additional information you want to put out to the, the audience? Is there any closing note? I, I would just say to the audience, thank you for what you guys do. As we were talking just now about the, the swimming upstream and the currents, I really feel like your profession is in a current for multiple reasons, not only because of the regulatory environment, but also because of our culture, where we are such a culture of, you know, do, 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 and, and lack of self-care and lack of taking a break and all of these things. And it reminds me that one time I was at the gym and I, and I took, I, I carved out a little bit of time to sit in the sauna. And I remembered feeling guilty that I had carved out that time to sit in the sauna. And I'm thinking, oh, I have so much to do. I, I really shouldn't be doing this right now. And there was a Brazilian woman in the sauna as well. And she, um, she said, I, I made a comment of like, I really shouldn't be here. I need to, I need to get going or something. And she said, you know, what's wrong with you guys, meaning Americans. She said, this is part of the culture of the rest of the world. In the rest of the world, sitting in saunas, getting massages, taking care of these parts of, you know, the holistic care of your body is part of the culture. And in the United States, you guys feel guilty about doing those things. And it makes me really sad. And so all that to say, it's not only the regulatory environment, but it's also this environment of like, you know, massage is a luxury instead of thinking it as massage is a necessity, right? Yeah. And, and my goal, so, like Bob Ross, is I just went, it's already closed on. Just, just bring people in and teach them. And people are like, I don't understand. Like, how are you going to make money if you're giving it away for free? And I'm like, listen, after Bob Ross did his show, every class was sold out. Mm. They want it in a different form. I package it online. I've had an educator say online education in massage, online education doesn't work. 
And then I'm talking to her about my subscription service and she's like, oh my God, you don't just give them everything, do you? And I go, well, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, but if they learn it online, they're not gonna take your classes. And I'm like, you just told me that online education doesn't work, which is it? <laughs> Either they can right. or they can't. Yeah. This, I'm like, okay, so why do I have, and this is, this is the thing, people gotta think about this. In the massage industry, I have a lot of massage therapists who follow what I do. Why do I have you on the podcast? Because I, I, I do want to give back, but like I have business interest in like promoting good, sound, logical discussions, promoting people doing good things that le legitimizes my industry. It's a business decision to network with you, to network with people that know you, to like promote women, to promote human rights. To like, Thank you. It's like it's all these things yep. where it's like yep. people misconstrue it. We're like, well, Robert just wants to make money. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Bob Ross wanted to paint, and yeah, he wanted to make money, but he wanted to help people. Mm. That's, that's, I mean, we can argue about how it's done, but that, that's all it is. Like, the, the no, no self-promotion. It's like, you said, hey, I'll, I'll make a coupon code. You know, I'm like, sure, I'll run it through my email list. There was no, like, resistance, like, I'm not going to promote her stuff. I'm not right. going to promote her business. And I'm like, why? Well, and I was very thankful that you were willing to, because... Uh, like I said, I believe very strongly that there is a amazing opportunity for strategic partnerships between massage therapists and Severa. And that's actually why I, I was supposed to go to the AMTA um, convention in Tampa before yeah. it got canceled. But I had a booth. I was going to have a booth there because it is a super, it, it's it's just, it would be a wonderful, wonderful connection and and collaboration i think for massage therapists to say you know what we care about trafficking we understand the ways that our profession has been co-opted and misconstrued and and it's unfortunate and here's all of the ways that we are working to combat it and a partnership with severa is just an obvious an, an obvious one but here's one of our oils we also have a bug spray so, oh yeah. So thank you guys uh, so much for tuning in. Vanessa, I don't want you to leave. I'm going to talk to you for just a minute after the podcast finishes. Listen, if you guys have like, additional comments, you have questions, this is going to wind up on Facebook in addition to YouTube. Just comment in the comment section. Vanessa will probably be able to answer those as well as myself. If uh, you, you want us to go head to head again and argue about stuff or debate, I'm sure that's probably uh a good thing. Just let me know what other topics you guys are interested in. I'll continue to differentiate the podcast over time into other industries. I really appreciate you guys tuning in and you have a great day. Thank you for supporting the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. And thank you to Vanessa for joining us today.